Everything that has breath um, has the will to live, but only humans have the will to live well. You ever thought about that? Cow doesn't want different clothes, you know, there's, they don't have those kind of thoughts. I wish I had better environment. Uh, of course, they'll break out and try to get to a better pasture, but uh, they really don't have a desire to live well. They just have a desire to live. Humans, on the other hand, are the only species that actually have a desire to live and live well. We're always seeking and pursuing a better life, a more abundant life. We aren't just content with life. We want a better one, right? We spend our lives working for a more abundance. The theme of this Lambda stanza, verses 89 through 96 of Psalm 119, is the eternal nature of God's Word. And last week we studied the eternal nature of God, taking it from verse 89. Um, and one attribute that I focused on last week was God's infinite power. That's one thing that makes Him God, is He has infinite power. And this is addressed by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. When he relates the infinite power of God to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul said there that Jesus came from the dead because of the infinite power of God. And then, amazingly, he said that same power God uses to create spiritual life in us. Let me read it for you, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and, and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. So the power that God the Father used to raise God the Son from the dead is the same power he uses to grant you spiritual life to forgive your sins. It's an amazing power. It's an infinite power. Today I want to focus on verse 93 of the Lambda passage. And I'll read it for you right now. Verse 93 of Psalm 119. I will never forget your precepts, for, for by them you have given me life. Now, what we, what we see here is the author's focus on the eternal word of God bringing life to those who will treasure it. You hear that? God's eternal word will bring life to anyone who will treasure it. I want to show you today the life-giving properties of the Word of God and convince you to treasure it so that you'll experience this joyful life that God speaks of. So how does God's Word give life? Well, the, the psalmist here said that the Word of God gave him life. What did he mean? He says, for by them, for by the Word of God, you have given me life, verse 93. What did he mean by that? Well, I want to start to explain this to you by taking you to Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. I have it for you on the overhead. It says this, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So the apostle Paul the author of over half the New Testament was convinced that the Word of God, which he called the Word of Life there in Philippians that I just read for you, was able to create spiritual life, even create children of God out of children of the world. God's Word is able to do that, according to the Apostle Paul. 
So let's look closely at this and see how the Word of God gives life or brings life to those of us who need it, to those of us who are actually dead in our sins and trespasses. So I have three points this morning, and the first is this, the Word of life. We know that God's Word from Genesis to Revelation is powerful, it's effective, and even to the point of bringing life to dead souls, it, it gives life. Jesus believed these things. He said this that we just heard from John 5.39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it's they that bear witness of me. Jesus believed that the word of God brought life to people. And James, his apostle said this in chapter 1 verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth. How? How did God bring us forth? Bring us from death to life. How did he do that? The verse says what? By the word of truth. That's the word of God. That's the word of life. By the word of truth, the word of life, God gives us life, brings us from death to life. In verse 92, back in Psalm 119, the psalmist said that if it weren't for the word of God, he would have perished in his affliction. And what's the opposite of perishing? Living. And so the word of God brought life to the psalmist. Had he not had the word of God, he would have died. Verse 92, this is what he said. God's word saved him from perishing. So God's word, we learn just by taking a, a real basic survey, saves us from sin, saves us from despair, saves us from eternal death. This is what the word of God does. Now, I want you to be clear about something here before I move forward. That the pages that you hold in your hand, the ink, the paper... Uh, they, they have no magical power in and of themselves. Uh, it's not like a good luck charm you put on your shelf at home and, you know, something's going to protect your family. That's not what's happening here with the copy of Scripture that you hold. It's the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit working through this Word that the pages bring life to your soul. Uh, in my freshman year at Multnomah School of the Bible, uh, I was enrolled in the freshman theology class, and our teacher was Mickey O. Day. His dad wanted him to be a boxer, and he turned out to be a theology professor. Um, but his name was Mickey O. Day, and he was our freshman theology class teacher, and he was very engaging. Um, he would think up all sorts of ways to help us understand theology, the importance of the word. One day, all of us you know, gullible freshmen were sitting in his class, you know, listening to this wise old professor talk about God's word. And he, when he would teach, he would walk around the classroom and we'd all do this, you know, where is he? You know, that kind of thing. And he was at the back of the classroom this particular day, standing behind us. And we all had our necks craned looking for him and listening to him. He had the Bible in his hand and he was saying the very things that I'm saying to you. It's not in the pages and the ink that the power resides. It's in the spirit that contains this word where the power resides. It's in God. And so he took the copy of the Bible he was reading from and he hauls off and he throws it across the classroom and it hits the wall and drops with a thud to the classroom floor. And all of us freshmen thought, get out of the room quick, lightning is going to strike. His point was, there is no magical power in the pages in the, in the ink that's here. It's in what they contain. It's in the spirit who is contained herein that brings the power of life 
to those who will read it. So if we look closely, we see this in verse 93. Look at verse 93 in your copy of the Bible. Psalm 119, it says, I will never forget your word, for by them, by your word, you have given me life. It's not the copy of the book that gives you life. It's the God of the book that gives you life. I think that's important for you to understand before we go forward here. That the Spirit of God makes His Word lively in our lives and brings strength and comfort and general spiritual health. Have you ever experienced the connection between regular time in God's Word and spiritual strength to resist temptation? Have you ever experienced that? That's the Spirit of God giving you life through His Word, strength through His Word. Have you ever equated your emotional health and your emotional strength to regular times in God's Word? There is an important and proportional relationship between your emotional health and the time you spend in His Word. So, my first point is this. The Word of life is what brings life to us. It is through this channel that God of the universe enlivens your soul and brings life to your spirit. My second point is this, the word of life. And you think, uh, Pastor John, (laughs) maybe it was Deb. Maybe it was Deb. She made the bulletin, right? This was actually the outline. I want you to notice, though, that the word word in the second point is capitalized. I want you to pay attention to that. This was intentional. I'm not completely senile, even though I've gotten older. I want, you, I want to get you thinking here this morning about the second person of the Godhead, the person we heard of from John chapter 1. This one is called the Word of God, capital W. Listen to 1 John, 1 John his epistle, verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's talking about Jesus, the second person of the Godhead. We've handled this guy. We've seen him. We've heard him. We've touched him. The the life was made manifest. We've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim it to you. Eternal life, which was with the Father, but was made manifest to us. He's talking about the second person of the Godhead. I want you to hear that. The Word, capital W, of life. Back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life and the light of men. And then verse 14 it says, and this Word, what? Became manifest. This Word tabernacled with us. It came to live with us. John 1, 14. This is the Word of God. So we have the copy of the Word of God. We have the living Word of God in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, the Apostle Paul, thought that Jesus Christ was God's Word to us, as did the author of Hebrews. You remember this passage? Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago and at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Yeah, we got a copy of it right here. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Daniel, all these Old Testament prophets spoke to us in times past. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now his son is God's word. The second person of the, of the Godhead is God's word to us. That's an amazing thought. Jesus is God speak to you and to me. And this particular word, capital W, is the creative word. He creates things. Did you see the end of verse 2 of Hebrews 1, through whom he created the world? Did you know that Jesus is the creator of the universe? The second person, the Godhead, is the one who created life and the universe? It it's his word that gave life to our human existence in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. Genesis 1.3, and God said. Who said? The second person of the Trinity said. The one who became man said. And it happened, let there be light. There was light. Throughout the creation, Jesus said. And it happened. Think about what must have been going on in the mind of Christ throughout his ministry here on this earth, especially when he was dying on the cross for the very people he made. And then, of course, verse 3, he upholds the universe by the power of his word or the word of his power. Jesus' words are able to create. You've heard the stories. You remember them. Do you remember when he made bread and fish out of nothing? You remember that? He created that with his word. And sight, a blind man who had never seen, probably whose retinas would detach, God said, receive your sight. Boom. He received his sight. We see all sorts of stories. The creation of wine out of water. This isn't normal activity. And then he comes to the famous story in John 11 where he gives human life to a dead corpse, Lazarus. John eleven forty three. 43, Jesus cried out, he used his voice, a loud one, Lazarus, come out. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the word of life, grants life. The apostle Peter in his sermon to the Jews referred to Jesus as the author of life. He pointed at the Jews and he says, you killed the author of life. Think about that statement. <laughs> so we have this, the word of God, it's a creative word, but it's also a life-giving word. Beyond what I've mentioned, not just physical life, not just bread and wine, not just, you know, the other things that fish and, and so forth that came from Jesus' miraculous work but spiritual life. His creative power doesn't end with just a physical creation. You remember, we are the only species that only want to live, but we want to live well. And here we see Jesus giving that kind of life, abundant spiritual life on top of physical life. Jesus gives this spiritual life to spiritually dead people. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's an important theological 
verse. We, we know that because of what Paul said there, that we have no spiritual life inherently in us. We're not born spiritually alive. We're born spiritually dead. You were dead in your sins. And that doesn't mean you were asleep. You were semi-conscious. It means you were dead. And dead people can't do anything about their condition. We were that way spiritually. We were spiritually dead. Just like Lazarus was physically dead, we are all born spiritually dead. Then he goes to verses 4 and 5, Paul does in Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. He breathed spiritual life into our souls. In the same way he creates physical, he creates spiritual life. The living word, that is capital W, not only gives spiritual life to spiritually dead people, he brings vibrancy, vibrant, dynamic spiritual life to stagnant souls. John 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I come to give life and give it abundantly. That's what we're after, right? Of course, we want to defend our physical life. That's natural to us. But we also crave something more, something abundant, something vibrant, something that want, makes us get out of bed, something that makes us want to live the next day, live it well. From discouragement to hope is what Jesus' life-giving power does from sorrow to joy from death to life this is what jesus brings and this of course only comes from knowing the living word knowing jesus christ himself do you know him have you had that experience friend let me get to my third and final point the life of the word so we had the word of life the word of life now how about life in the word or the life of the word so god's word the Bible brings life. God's word, Jesus Christ, is behind it all. Jesus works through the Bible to bring life to our weary souls. Now I want you to think about how our lives ought to be lived in light of that reality. The life of the word. Your life filled with the word. Why is the word of God so important to you and I as believers? Or why should it be so important? What should a life saturated by the word look like? The life of the word. What is it? What is it? How should it look? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the necessity that we all have. If you lack peace with God, in other words, if you haven't been regenerated and you never really experienced spiritual peace, you still feel guilty for your sins. You don't know that you've been forgiven. You've never come to Christ and laid your burdens at the foot of the cross. You've never received his grace. That's what it means to lack peace with God. If that's you, or if you are, a, if you are a Christian even, and just lack that vital Christian life, there are reasons for those conditions. All right? Listen to these reasons that people may feel the way I've just described. First of all, even Christians can be spiritually sick and lethargic. All right? I'm certain that at some point in your Christian life, maybe today, you've been ex an example of such. Spiritual lethargy, spiritual sickness, even though you claim Christ, even though you truly had your sins forgiven. Have you been there recently? 
a good portion of pastoral ministry or pastoral work is dealing with spiritually sick and lethargic Christians. Every week as I prepare the sermon, I think and pray about those who will hear it. I think about the needs that you, Sun Valley Church, have and, and how this Word of God, this, this living and active Word of God can be presented to you in such a way to meet your needs and motivate you to pursue Christ more deeply, more passionately. I try weekly to identify things in your life that rob you of your joy, rob you of your Christian vitality, make you sleep during the sermon, those kind of things. Why? I try to identify those things because God promises that those who will treasure his word, those who will treasure Jesus Christ will have a vibrant Christian life. I try to expose the cheap substitutes that we all struggle with, the things we idolize, things other than Christ where you might find your identity. I try to identify those things for you so that you'll see them and be shocked towards Christ, towards his word. Things like your vocation, your looks, your possessions, your children, etc., normally and regularly come up in these sermons. Because even Christians lack vitality at times. And it's these things that are the cause. Sometimes lacking spiritual vibrancy comes from un unrepented sin. Do you have sin in your life that you have not confessed, that you, can, that you refuse to leave, that you continue to do? That will get in the way of spiritually vibrant experience. It, it, it's something that causes lethargy in all Christians, even, even though they believe in Christ. If there is unconfessed sin, it will impede the work of grace in your life. Um, if, if there is an active sin in your life that you just can't seem to shake or won't leave, the only active work of the Holy Spirit will be that of conviction. He's not going to bring vitality to you as you continue to live in sin. The only thing that he will do is convict of sin in your case. And you'll notice that when you open the scriptures, all you can think about is conviction because you have unrepented sin in your life. Lacking spiritual life, vibrant spiritual life also comes from the, this practice of omission. You know what I'm talking about? Instead of commission, it's omission, leaving things out. For example, failing to serve, failing to give, failing to love the brothers, failing to attend church regularly will bring on spiritual lethargy. So if you are spiritually lethargic or spiritually sick and lack the vibrant Christian life you think you ought to have, check these things out is what I should say to you. These omissions drain us of the joy, the peace, the comfort, the vitality that God promises to those who continue in obedience. It really isn't rocket science. So, for example, if you have a guitar, but you don't play it, it's just in the corner, it's a nice guitar, but you don't play it, I guess what's going to happen to that guitar? It'll soon go out of tune by just sitting there. No one has to go turn any knobs, it just sits there, it goes out of tune. Because it's not being used, it's being omitted. This is the same in our spiritual lives. We cannot ignore the means of grace and expect grace. 
We cannot ignore the means of spiritual vitality and expect spiritual vitality. God doesn't reward inactivity. He is ready and enthusiastic to grant hope, encouragement, and spiritual vitality to anyone who would pursue him. But he expects us to get out of bed and come to the table. He expects us to access the means of grace for our spiritual lives. You know, friends, grace is not intended to keep you idle in your Christian life. Some people live, you know, totally unconcerned about God or His Word and, and then claim grace. Aren't you thankful for grace? Well, grace isn't intended to keep you idle from your spiritual responsibilities. Another reason that you may be experiencing um, less than spiritual vibrancy is because of pride. You got pride socked in on your soul. James 4, 6, but God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to humble people. So he's not going to, again, shower you with spiritual vibrancy if you've got an overwhelming prideful issue. Another reason might be worldly saturation. Are you just up to your neck in worldly stuff? And Sunday for an hour, you put that aside and try to think of God. And then the rest of the week, it's just worldly saturation again. Psalm 119, 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. That's where the vitality comes from, friends. God doesn't intend worldly things to bring you eternal, powerful, infinite spiritual vibrancy. Um, and that's because, you know, and this necessarily isn't sinful. In fact, most of the time it's not, but there are exceptional experiences of difficulty in the Christian life, and that can wear you out, can wear you thin, it can rob you of your spiritual vibrancy. Psalm 119, verse 107, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. I need your word. Because I'm going through so much, I'm just beat down, I'm tired, I'm worn out. I need your word. So for these reasons, there is a necessity for the word of God regularly, consistently pouring over your soul, saturating your life. Is that happening in your life? I mean, if you were saturated as much uh, with the Word of God, or, I mean, as much with air as you are the Word of God, would you be breathing currently? If you had as much air as you have as the Word of God in your life, would you be blue? Would you be unconscious? What's the remedy? Of course, you know. The remedy is the point of Psalm 119. It's the Word of God, right? That's the remedy. More of the Word of God. Timing God's Word. Meditation on God's Word. Being saturated with God's Word. It's a means to bring about that dynamic, vibrant spiritual life that we all seek. We all want. We all want to be that Hudson Taylor, don't we? We don't want to have that kind of spiritual Christian experience. Well, do you think God plays favorites in that regard? No. He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. 
Friends, God's word is the remedy for our woes because God's word contains the words of life from the author of life. In the word we find God's commands, his exhortations, encouragements, helps, which the Holy Spirit uses to guide us to places of spiritual health and vibrancy. It's here in the word that we learn to resist temptation, to improve our relationships, to grow in grace and wisdom, to trust the Lord, to prioritize what's important, to rid ourselves of guilt. It's here. This is how, this is where we learn to do these things. Friends, if the infinite God of the universe who's revealed in the scripture doesn't bring awe to our souls, what will? If the reasonableness of God's commands and the promises of reward don't motivate our obedience, what will? If the love of God shown to us in Christ doesn't motivate our service, what will? If the promises of heaven don't strengthen our resolve, what will? The word of God is a remedy for dead and sick souls. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts provide them you've given me life. That's why Paul said to the Colossian church in chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Think about what that means. The word of God dwelling in me richly. Since God's word gives life, according to all of scripture, especially here in verse 93, which is under study, what's our response to that? If, if we know that this book that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, contains the words of the author of life, what ought to be our response to that truth? It, it ought to be the same as the psalmist. I will never forget your precepts. And that doesn't mean I'll memorize them all. It simply means I'll put it into my life. I'll have my life saturated with this. I will remember this. I'll get up and I'll read it. I'll make it a part of my daily life. And you say, well, I just can't remember to do it. I get so busy, I can't remember to do it. Well, we remember to do everything else, don't we? We remember to turn the TV on when the Seahawks are playing. We remember the Mariners lineup if you're insane. <laughs> At least this year. You remember things that are important to you. You remember hunting season. You remember when the sales are happening at Macy's. You remember. Whatever is, has influenced our affections, we remember. It's quite impressive what we can remember. We must remember the word. Remembering, again, not memorizing, the word confirms our faith. Do you know that when you remember to return to the word, that is at least some evidence that the Holy Spirit is present? Because in and of your normal human self, that isn't the case? How many of your buddies go read the word at work? Well, how many of them have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them? 
When our minds and hearts are drawn to the scriptures, it's a powerful indicator that the Holy Spirit lives here in my heart. Next, remembering God's word helps us through dry seasons of even the Christian life. Unfortunately, the Christian life is full of ups and downs and highs and lows. Don't you wish that when you gave your heart to Christ, it was all hunky-dory and that motivation wasn't an issue? Don't you wish that you were immediately sanctified that moment when you turned your life over to Christ? Well, that isn't the case. Life, all of it, is a journey for the Christian with ups and downs, like in Pilgrim's Progress. Remembering God's Word helps us to navigate those undulations. When your spiritual life is dull and heartless, even when you are dutifully doing the steps, I mean, and we all go through these seasons, what are we supposed to do? We're coming to church, we're serving, we're giving, we're attending small group, we're even reading the Bible on our own, but we still feel a sense of dryness, dullness, boredom even, with the Word, with the Christian life. This is why remembering God's word is so important. It will remind you of those vibrant days you once had when you were joyful, when you sensed the presence of God every moment of the day, when he led you to practical wisdom when you needed it. You remember God's word and it encourages your soul to try again, to dig deeper, to pray more, to cry out more to God because you remembered You remember that his word has given you life in the past and he can do it again. You remember that he has done this very thing for countless other people. Why not me? While on others you are calling, what? Do not pass me by. Remembering God's word will increase your love for God. Jesus said this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. It's he who loves me. Not just those who has his commandments, but those who have the word and keep it. In other words, remember it. Do it. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That comes from remembering God's word. Remembering God's word will increase your love for God's word. With eating comes the appetite. You've heard that? With eating comes the appetite. My mom used to tell me, that I would learn to like broccoli. (laughs) And I struggled with that for a long time. I actually like broccoli now. It's kind of weird. With eating comes the appetite. With the intake of God's word comes a love for the word. So, friends, think about these things. Do you delight in the word of God? Have you been there? Have you been encouraged? Have you been strengthened and blessed by God's word? And remember that. Return to that place. Open up the word. Start today. Make use of your time. We all have sections of time in our day that can be used to fill our hearts and minds with God's word. It's commute time. What do you do on your commute to work if you have a job? You listen to KIT, you listen to some music, or how about listening to the Word? Um, Waiting time. We all have to wait. Every day we wait. Waiting is a part of being a human. When the light turns red, you wait. 
what are you supposed to do? Read? Well, yeah, maybe, yeah. Have stickers on your dashboard with the Word of God you're trying to get into your brain. So when the light's red, you're memorizing a verse. Um, any kind of downtime, doing your makeup, mowing your lawn, walking your dog. We have this, these great inventions that you can stick in your ears now and listen to the Bible on some Bible app that's free. It's crazy. Download sermons, listen to sermons. Make sure you have at least one Bible app with your Bible on it. And there's all sorts of stuff out there. If you can't remember, guess what? There's apps that help you remember. They'll ding at a certain time of the day. They'll send you an email another time of the day. They'll help you remember. You know, uh, in Old Testament times, they, were, they would call from Jerusalem from the temple for prayer times at least three times a day. They would stand up and they would yell, prayer time, and the people would hear it in the city. Guess what it reminded them to do? Pray. <laughs> and so they'd stop and they'd pray. We have the same thing in our iPhones. Reading time. You stop and you read or you listen. We all have these downtimes throughout the day. I would, I would bet you have hours of downtime in your day. How are you using them? If the Word of God really is this thing that brings vibrancy to our lives, that, that we all want, we all want uh, uh, to live well, and the Word of God can do that, why don't we soak it up? Why don't we try it at least? This Word says, I will never get your precept because by them you have given me life. Is this, is this how you live, Christian friend? How you saturate your mind and your heart with God's word. I hope you'll do so starting today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the living word who creates out of nothing, who gives life to dead souls. Father, I'm certain there are people in this room who know you and who don't know you, people who have spiritual life and those who don't. We even have people who have spiritual life but are personally experiencing the dry dullness of it. I pray that, that your Holy Spirit, uh, Heavenly Father, Jesus, would draw us to this place, this, this word where vibrancy is found, where your spirit works, where you apply the truths of Scripture, your eternal words, to our needy souls. God, help us with this. Remind us of this. And if there are those in this room who don't know Christ, I pray that they would come to Christ now, right where they sit, that they would acknowledge their sin, that they would, that they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came and became one of us as a man and died on the cross for sin, that we might have our sins forgiven and saved unto eternal life. Friends, I, I, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do this to all of my friends here in this room, that you would save their souls, that you would grant vibrant life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.